Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The China Shop. Joining me today is the charismatic and capitalistic Chris Panayotu. Did I say that right? Panayotu, but you know what? You did a lot better than most, so I will let it slide for today. I appreciate that. Uh, Chris is the host of Capitalize Your Finances podcast and also the author of the best-selling book of the same name. If you'd like to learn more about him, you can check out the website and the podcast at capitalizedpodcast.com. And of course, the best-selling book of the same name. Uh, we'll have links for that in the episode description. And if you'd like to reach out with any suggestions, corrections, or questions for future guests, you can do that via email at twobulls at financialineptitude.com or just join that free Discord server where a ton of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. We'll have all those links in the episode description so you can peruse them at your convenience. Now, without any further ado, let's get to know Chris. How are you doing today, man? Kyle, I am doing brilliant. I am having a great time. The sun is shining in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I can hear in the next room that my daughter, who is almost six months old, is not screaming, which means she is down for a nap. And I'm talking to you. So Mm, how long do you have on that nap? (laughs) Yeah, no. Well, and she's not a great napper. She is a she's a half hour power napper. So, um, you know, my my wife is in the room next door. And so we'll try to, uh, you know, kindly muzzle her as much as we can for your viewers. But know that it's out of love. Yes, yes, yes. Just don't get anybody in trouble. Yep. Uh, Where in the where in Washington are you at? Yeah. So specifically, we're in University Place, but no one really knows what the heck that means. And so for those that don't know, we're basically outside of Tacoma. And if you really don't know what that means, we're about 45 minutes south of Seattle. And if you don't know what that means, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, you're close to SeaTac. Yes, close to SeaTac. Okay. Okay. Yeah, which uh, I was I was stationed in uh, Bremerton for uh, that back in like 2004. Oh, OK. Well, I'll yeah. tell you, Bremerton is a. Uh, is a hidden gem. Um, it, it's a, it wasn't when I was there. Well, <laughs> I like Silverdale, but Bremerton. Nah, nah. Well, here's the thing. Bremerton on the surface still kind of has that same gritty feel. But yeah. then once you peel back the layers of the metaphoric onion, there is a, a, a ton of opportunity out there. Um, it just, you know, 
it's Bremerton. So it doesn't exactly <laughs> look all that appealing. Um, but right. the people out there are okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then just, uh, I mean, obviously the military people that a lot of, uh, presence up there. Oh yes. Oh yes. Well, and one of our, our largest retirement plan clients is, is actually the auto dealership out there. And so, um, you know, it's, uh, uh okay, okay. Yeah. So I know that area, uh, very well. A little too well, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is all I can say. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I was looking through your bio and I saw on there that you actually started investing at like age 10. Like, How yes. did that happen? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I was super cool as a child. Um, yeah, but on a, on a, yeah, on a, on a serious note. So my uh, I, I grew up in a pretty financially literate household. Um, I, I, I have no relation with my, my father anymore, nor do I desire to. Um, but he was into investing. Um, and, and so that was kind of a, a heads up, but how it really started was indirectly. Um, I, I was, I was not a huge troublemaker like in, mm-hmm. in, you know, growing up until this day, I've never been drunk, buzzed or high in my life, but I did a lot of things where like, you know, your, your, uh, your parents would look at you like you're, you're not supposed to do this. <laughs> I mean, it's not illegal, but right. Also pseudo shame on you, but I probably would have done the same if I had the cojones. But so my, my mom had a Starbucks drink and she told me not to drink it. Well, she went in the other room and yeah, of course I took a sip and, uh, I was in trouble and all that fun stuff, but I was hooked to it. And I've always loved the taste of coffee. I love the smell of coffee. We grew up in the Pacific Northwest where Starbucks was obviously very, very big. Yep. And uh, I remember my parents were telling me that I could basically be a part of that business. Because I, I told them I wanted in on this action as a 10? 10 year old would say. Yeah, I didn't use That's those. Awesome. Terms. Right, right. But, um, but pretty close. And so for my 10th birthday, I was gifted the Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham, who was Warren Buffett's teacher at Columbia University, the godfather of value investing, etc. And I read it uh, cover to cover because I was told to. Now, contrary to what the legend is, I have gained probably half a percent of what the heck was actually stated in there. But <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I understood that you need to buy a business that you understand and you need to buy something that everyone uses. Mm-hmm. That, those are like the two nuggets that I gained. And so, you know, when I was, this is not investment advice by means, but I thought, well, everyone's drinking Starbucks because my mom and, and, uh, and all of her, her friends and family drank Starbucks and you look around and Starbucks is everywhere. So therefore mm-hmm. the world is dominated by Starbucks. So that was, uh, one of the first stocks that that I happen to buy. And then the other one uh, was Microsoft. And it's not because I'm some, you know, savant in investing. My Crohn's disease was really bad as a kid. I was diagnosed at four. Hmm. And at the time, I was the youngest in Washington to be diagnosed. And so I went from being athletic, playing outside with my athletic friends, to transitioning to... Um, what I'd say some of the nerdier friends uh, right. were because I, I literally could not go and play outside without being concerned of um, just to be frank, pooping my pants. And so, uh, and oh, we can laugh about what, it now. 
Wait, what is Crohn's? Crohn's is basically like IBS. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's not a good thing to have as a kid. It's not. No, but you know what? Um, I'm really blessed that uh, God granted me that because Mm -hmm. I don't think I would be where I'm at had I not had Crohn's and that could be a whole nother podcast episode. But, um, but yeah, so when I was playing with my friends, long story short, we were playing computer games and this was in the nineties because I'm 32. I'm still a young guy, but I remember age of empires exploded. Well, the only thing that you could do in regards to like playing that game was play on a PC. Yep. And so all of my friends had it and we were addicted. So therefore everyone's addicted. And uh, you've also got to understand in 2001, May 31st, 2001, that's when the first two purchases happened. Well, uh, I read the book. I buy these two stocks with, you know, the couple hundred bucks my my grandparents set aside for college. And uh, the portfolio was cut in half in mm-hmm. like a year because of the dot-com boom or bubble. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I remember thinking... I need to go read this book again because I I must have missed something because nothing had changed, right? right? We're still playing Age of Empires. Age of Empires 2 was coming out. So I'm thinking, okay, that's expanding. Um, Starbucks were opening up left and right. And that's not academic brilliance. That's just using just my seeing. own eyes. Yeah. 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 And so I remember thinking at that point, okay, whatever cash is in the account, I'm going to buy more of it. And so that's kind of how my, my investment world uh, started. And I, I don't really hold myself out to be an investment expert per se. Um, mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with what I do, but for me, uh, that's where capitalizing your finances really came into play on the, the planning side of things, which, which we can talk about that later if you want. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. but before we do that, I just kind of want to jump back. You, you mentioned like, uh, like all your friends were doing it. So obviously everyone's doing it. Like, how do you guard yourself against that now? Because if you're not careful, you may think like everybody drinks, like uh, sure. if you like to go out to the bars, but there's a whole lot of people who don't. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's funny you say that. So I've always traveled to the beat of my own drum, um, mm-hmm. which is a gift and a curse. That, that was another quote I learned a long time ago. Your greatest gift is your greatest curse. And that is stuck with me uh, for the last eight years and it's actually protected me a ton. But you know, when you're, you're young, you you don't really have an understanding of uh, like what you just said, as far as guarding yourself. Right. Today it, it, it's a, I mean, for a number of different reasons, right. It's a totally different ball game. I I mean, when I was 10, I was managing a grand total of $400. And my grandparents, (laughs) you know, today we, we oversee 135 million in, in growing and we're on track to oversee a billion by the time I'm 40. And, and I, I, I've made that goal in my head. And when I make a goal to myself, it is a, it is a metaphoric written contract that cannot be broken. So I will not, not let that happen. But my whole point is when you get to those dollars, the game changes a little bit. And um, you, you kind of, how should I say this? You climb a mountain. And as you climb that mountain, there are fewer and fewer and fewer climbers. And I'm not saying I'm going to get to the top and, oh, look at me. But the blessing of my podcast is I've got to interview 
and become friends with a number of these super investors or friends of super investors, such as uh, William Green and, and Guy Spears coming on our show in September. And we're in uh, talks with Monish Pabrai. We had Gautam Bade, who wrote The Joys of Compounding. And, and all of these people, uh, w- when you get to that level, and again, I don't hold myself out to be as, as great as them because they're they're the greats. I'm just you, a student. You can promote yourself. It's okay. Um, well, that we got to get better as as podcasters. Is you yeah, know, we'll some I good mean, stuff. You know, here's my thing that the reason why I struggle with that. Um, there's a balancing act there of you want to hold yourself out as being an expert, but the second you hold yourself out as being a master and you lose the right. ideology of being a, a student. You're going to hurt yourself. So I'm always reminding myself, be a student, be a student, be a student. It's, it's a humble career that you've chosen or a humbling career. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I always I, thought maintenance was the same way. Like you, yeah. some days you get your butt kicked and that's just the way it is. Well, and, and I'll tell you, man, um, and, and trust me, I am a, I'm a confident guy in what I do, not because I'm, I'm uh, by any means arrogant or any of that. It's just I've devoted my being to what I'm doing mm-hmm. in the hours that I've put in. I'm not saying that I can't learn something, but now I'm just kind of filling holes here and there. Um, but anyways, you know, to, to keep myself humble, going back to that yeah, uh, in, in staying away from it. You know, one thing that actually inspired me was when I interviewed Robert Hagstrom last year, who wrote the Warren Buffett way in the Warren Buffett portfolio, mm-hmm. New York times bestseller, shout out to Robert. He's an amazing man. And he asked me, Chris, your, your business is growing. You're incredibly young, but you're ahead of this curve. Do you have a place to go where you can profoundly think? Hmm. And I, I thought that was a really peculiar question. And so I told him, well, I've got my home office. I've got uh, you know my actual office. I've got my conference right. room. And he goes, no, 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 no. Let me ask you this. What do people pay you to do? And I'm, he's talking my actual business. Right. And, and he goes, I don't want to hear capitalizing your finances, the marketing and all that. What do they pay you to do? And I, I kept answering him and he kept drilling deeper and deeper and deeper. And it got to a point where I said, whoa, people pay me to profoundly think about the stewardship of their money. Hmm. And he was telling me, Chris, I oversee, and I think he oversees almost a billion dollars. Oh, excuse me, a couple billion dollars. If he's not a billionaire, he's knocking on the door. Right. And he was telling me, Chris, if if you're going to oversee a billion dollars, you need to have a place where that is, that is the only place that you go. So when we moved offices uh, this past month, which was hellacious and it's still in the process, we actually built out a room where... It is for two purposes only. If you're an existing client, mm-hmm. you can go in it, and that's where we meet. If you are a prospective client or you're just touring, you will not be allowed in there. That is not going to happen. Of course, you can like poke your head in, but that is not where we're meeting. Right. Because the other purpose for this is that is my sole place to go to profoundly think. There's no electronics. There's no clock. Uh, there's a there's a you know a chair couch nice little coffee table, tons of plants, tons of, of greenery um, to help promote intelligent thought. And when that door closes, my teammate Betty knows not to go in. I don't care how long it takes because I will take whatever I need to read for the day, annual reports, uh, 
10 cues, prospectuses, um, books for a podcast that's coming on, or sometimes I'll just go in there to profoundly think. And to answer your question, that is what I've done. I've, I've actually built in literal boundaries where if people are having conversations and they're trying to, I guess, almost sway me mm -hmm. or lure me into thinking a certain way, I will actively leave the conversation. And some people would think it's rather assholic, which is an adjective for asshole. That is a Chris Paniotu staple that you can use. <laughs> but for me, it's like, you know what? In that case, it's the pros and cons methodology and mental model I've built in my head. You know, in, in their mind, the worst case scenario is I walk away and they think I'm kind of a jerk about it. But that's my best case scenario because I know that if I keep dancing with the devil of trying to invest in something that I don't really know, and I'm being presented to it by someone that more likely than not does not know what they're doing, right? then I'm okay with that because what was I put on this earth to do? What are you losing then? <laughs> yeah, I'm not losing anything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm losing a couple minutes and they may get a little upset about it, but you know, who cares, right? Because yeah. if 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 my clients and my friends and my family that have trusted me, and now it's getting bigger because our brand has grown, mm -hmm. and my 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 followers know that I'm doing what's right on the stewardship of their trust. What else is there in life? Right. You know, I wish people would take that mentality or that mindset to to the internet. Uh, the people who. <laughs> get into those comment wars like what are you doing life's too short to be that angry all the time like you're just oh. addicted to getting mad at that yeah point. yeah well like, and it's, yeah you cut know, that it's, stuff out yeah but it's and it's interesting on that because i i mean i i get at least i get the political side of it because it's very emotional and, and people can you know there, there's no right. right answer but when it comes to investing in really planning in a lot of ways, it's pretty black and white. Like, yeah. you know, if someone comes to you and it doesn't fit your checklist, mm -hmm. it's black and white. I'm not saying it might be a, it, it couldn't be a good investment. There are plenty of good investments out there that, um, that may not just be right for you. Right. You know, I was listening to a, a show one time, uh, actually with, with Monish Pabrine and it struck me profoundly. And I'm probably going to butcher it because he's much more eloquent than I am. <laughs> but the whole idea was in, in life, there are going to be hundreds, if not thousands of investments that you miss out on. Mm -hmm. But there's nowhere in the rule book that says you will get hurt if you miss out on investing in a great investment. The only way that you can get hurt is if you choose to invest in a poor investment. Mm -hmm. And I've taken that mentality also into life. You know, there's a lot of people out there, and my teammate knows this about me. I've become much more um, critical of my time because that yep. is the most valuable asset out there. You know, the higher net worth you become, the more dollars mean little and time means everything. Mm -hmm. It's an inverse relationship. 
And for me, there's a ton of people out there, even my, my mom, who I, I of course love to death, you know, she'll say, man, Chris, like, you know, you, you're, you, you, uh, you cut people out of your life, um, like pretty quickly. And I go, yeah. well, no, 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 I'm not saying these are bad people. They just don't match my, my checklist and, and they may be the right people for, for others. They're just not right for mine. However, you know, on the flip side, there are a lot of people out there that want to hang on to people. And I see, I don't get that either. I'd rather just cut the, cut the tie. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Just be done with it. I don't want that drama in my life. Well, and, and Kyle, let me ask you this, not to, to prod, but. Oh, go ahead. You know, I'm so open book. Okay. So, so, and I'll tell you when, when you become an author, that's a, that's, a, that's actually a dad <laughs> joke. So, you know, for, for you, um, in just surface level, right? I would say you have a couple best friends in life. Yes, no? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Because if not, I'd recommend you, you go see a counselor on that if you have no friends. Very, very small circle of close-knit okay. friends. Okay. So how many? Three, four, yeah. five, ten? Probably one hand. One hand. Uh, okay. One hand. I'd say one hand, yeah. And assuming you weren't born with an extra finger, I'm going to say that's about five. So, you know, for for you, let's just hypothetically say... Uh, one of them suddenly didn't hit that criteria. Hmm. How easy is that for you to say, we're done? It's hard. I will give right? them a lot of chances to try to, to make it right. But you burn me with the same thing multiple times, then yep. that's, that's where I draw the line. Yeah. So, so that's where it gets interesting mm-hmm. because a lot of people... Because I would tell you, and this is this is partially with what happened in, in, in my family, um, which, you know, that that's neither here nor there. No one wants to hear about that. Um, but, you know, my, my father was my everything. And, and now I've, I've learned uh, that is not the case. Because, uh, uh, again, I have no. Sorry to hear that. Well, yeah. you know what? It, it is what it is. I mean, it was nothing I did. And so I can look myself in the mirror going, OK. However, that taught me something really valuable, mm-hmm. because if you have out of those five friends, statistically one of them has to have the the majority of your heart. Yeah. So if that one burns you and you have to cut them out mm-hmm. and you realize afterwards that you were better for it, it's kind of a curse because in a lot of ways you recognize, wait a second, if you were my everything and now I realize you weren't anything. Now, what does that mean for the rest? For yeah. the rest of you. And, and unfortunately, it's this jaded mental model. Now, a lot of people in the keyboard warriors out there will go, oh, man, like Chris is so arrogant and egotistical <laughs> about it. Actually, I'm not. You know, it has to do a lot with my faith. Um, I, uh-huh. I was raised Presbyterian and I'm not, you know, here to, to preach to anyone. Um, but I know the good Lord upstairs uh, has always reminded me. If someone deserves to be in your life, he's going to provide that person to me. And mm-hmm. if not, then not. Um, and it it allows me to remove, remove the emotion on it. But, you know, that there's a lot of investment knowledge in that, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like like take Amazon, for example. And I'm not here to give investment advice. But, for example, I, I personally have never invested in Amazon. We've had clients that have invested in Amazon. And I've had everyone and their mother ask, oh my gosh, you got to get in, you got to get in, you got to get in. It's been a phenomenal investment. It's a great company. Right. But it, it just isn't for me. 
But yet in the real world, people would go, okay, well, you know, wow, this person's a great guy or gal. They're just not for me. Somehow I'm a jerk. It's the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, then there's also the other aspect of it, like you were kind of alluding to uh, earlier when you're asking about like what it would take to cut someone out of your life. Like a lot of that kind of carries over in the investment world too. Like how many people hold on to a losing investment out of, yeah, I don't know, loyalty or whatever you want to call it. Sure. Oh, anchoring bias is a uh-huh. it's anchoring and, and uh, confirmation bias is a huge issue. Um, and there's another tool too, you know, and I, I and again, we'll we'll talk finance and, and nerdiness because I'm sure that's what your listeners want to hear about. But one thing that I've taken to heart is uh, a technique, and I talked to my counselor about this, mm-hmm. where uh, you take people that are in your life okay, and you fast forward a year. And let's say that hypothetically, you don't see them in a year. And in one year, if you don't see these people and... Your life has not changed whatsoever. Literally nothing has changed other than that person isn't there. Yeah. Why are they there in the first place? Hmm. And, you know, again, really jaded, a little bit. uh, um, um, Cynical, maybe cynical. But then also um, it's one of those things where or controversial. There we go. Uh, Okay. All right. It's it's a Friday. I've got a five and a half month old at home and we're not sleeping. So (laughs) cut me some slack, people. But it's a little it's a little controversial on that end. And and, um, I've had people very close to me um, where I I know and love them go, man, that that's pretty ruthless. But it's not because what you're doing is you're actually doing everyone in that scenario a favor, because let's face it, if nothing has changed and, you know, other than people will go, well, but they're but your friends well, if they're really that great of a person in your life, you couldn't go a year without seeing them. Right. Or at least reaching right? out. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least reaching out. And it's no different in investing, right? If if you uh, if you have an investment that, let's say you're not a customer of, well, you probably shouldn't use it, but let's say mm-hmm. you are a customer and then you ask yourself, wait a second, if I didn't use this product for a year and nothing changed why do I even go and buy it? And then you put your owner hat on and you go, wait a second. Now I need to ask myself the same question of why I even own this business. It's it's very valuable. Huh. Uh, that's a very interesting way of, of looking at it. Yeah. But see, I would take that probably too far. Like, yeah, okay. I don't need to shave every morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, I don't yes. really have to brush my hair. <laughs> yes. What's yes. going to change? It just looks messy. Whatever. Yes. Yes. <laughs> No, I, I, yeah. Well, and, and hygiene is a totally different deal. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's funny. You're talking about your, your thinking space. It's like, man, that sounds like my bathroom. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, Hey, it could be, you know, but again, now having a, a, a child at home, um, you know, due to emergencies, we, uh, we have open door policies. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. You have to. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so our, our safe space in the bathroom is no more. Oh no. Well, yeah. Well, you got about two years, I think, before you start seeing the fingers under the door. Oh, great. Can't wait for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So we talked a bit about the podcast and some of the awesome guests that you've had on. I think you already named some of the favorites, but is there any that favorite guests that you've had that you uh, haven't mentioned yet? Oh, man. Well, see that 
I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place with that question because you don't want to piss anyone off. (laughs) Yeah. You know, (laughs) I I, I will tell you this all in all, we've had some incredible guests. Um, There have been a couple where early on it's kind of been a, I don't know, you know, when, when you first start in, in podcasting, you think everyone that you're about to interview is almost like the, uh, the wizard of Oz, right? But you haven't pulled the curtain back. And then, you know, eventually you pull back the curtain. And most of the time, I will tell you, the majority of people out there Mm -hmm. are incredible people. And you pull that curtain back and they're just as magnificent, if not more. That's been my favorite thing about hosting a podcast is getting to know the stories behind so many different people. Yeah. And you get to know the person. Uh Uh-huh behind the profession. And I think that's much more valuable than just, you know, the surface level crap yeah, that everyone yeah. already knows. Tell me about the book. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will tell you this. Some of the, the favorites that I have had, because our show's morphing a little bit, mm-hmm. which is a really exciting thing. Um, it used to just be Christopher A. Ponio to the Cap and Capitalize teaching you about everything you need to know about truly capitalizing your finances. And... I went through my whole framework uh, in one season. We stopped doing seasons just because it, it becomes a pain in the butt. Um, and now we just have episodes. And then I give you uh, topics of capitalizing your finances uh, in inflationary environments, capitalizing on interest rates, mm-hmm. uh, capitalizing during a recession, etc. And then we started doing the episodes where I interview the sophisticated academics and investors like the people I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Now, this third tranche is expanding into I'm able to interview people, uh, uh, celebrities from all walks of life and how they've capitalized on their finances. So, for example, back in December, where the show really started to turn the corner um, in popularity, Fahim Anwar came on my show. And, and for those that don't know, Fahim is a, a very well-known comedian. He's been on Rogan four times. He's um He's toured with Dave Chappelle and Bill Burr. Like this guy, Hmm. this guy knows his stuff. And he came on and went through his career, but from a financial lens. And I remember afterwards. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. He, I asked him, I'm like, how did you like it, man? And he's become a a, a good buddy of mine too. Um, Shout out Fahim. Love you to death, man. And he, uh, he said, honestly, this was nothing like I've ever done before because, you know, he's used to going on shows and just, you know, being funny, but right. he said, it's almost therapeutic to go back and think financially about where you came from. And so now if you want to become a comedian, listen to Fahim Anwar's episode and he gives you the entire framework financially of what you need to do to be successful as a comedian, because he's one of the best. Um, we had Ryan Dusick, who's Maroon 5's founding drummer come on our I, show and I saw that one. I was like, wow, yeah. man, that's a big get. Yeah. And Ryan is an incredible man. Absolutely incredible. And, you know, he was introduced to me by, by uh, Nick Hutchison, who's the founder of book thinkers. And mm-hmm. um, when I read Ryan's book, I thought to myself, okay, this is an amazing memoir. How do I ask and pull finance questions from this? And I did that. And so mm-hmm. now, you know, you've had him on Monday, Alec Engel, the fullback for Miami uh, Dolphins came on and um, I got to interview him and, and ask how he's capitalized his finances from an NFL athlete's perspective. So oh, that'd be fascinating too. That, yeah, that's all NFL players need to re- listen to that one. I'm sure. 
Yeah. Well, and actually, um, you know, Alec and I have been been chatting and, and he's been bugging me about this. So later this year, we're actually going to be coming out with uh, capitalize your finances as an NFL athlete, because it, it uh, actually it's funny out of all the athletes, because we, we actually work with a couple pro athletes and mm-hmm. due to confidentiality, um, I obviously won't say who that is, but I can tell you out of all of the professional sports. NFL athletes are by far the easiest to manage. And, and that's not because I'm saying they're easy. It's just their, their season is so short. That's where they make their income. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for them, they get their W2 wherever they go or, or 1099. And then if they're sponsored, they get sponsorship money. But, you know, basically from February till n- now, mm-hmm. mid-July, other than training and obviously, you know, catching up on things, it's pretty chill. And so yeah. you can get a lot of their planning done in that time frame. And then granted, if they don't make the playoffs, you know, you kind of a tip is you want to give them a couple of weeks till you reach out and say like, yeah, but it's pretty easy because like a, a baseball player, you play year round. Golf is incredibly difficult because not only do you play year round, you're traveling internationally. And so tracking them down, it can be like um, hurting cats and and I'm allergic to cats. So you can imagine how- the NFL also, I think the players spend a lot more time in college than probably any other sport. I wonder if maybe that helps too. I never thought of that. Um, I'll tell you uh, one person I'm trying to get on our, our show is um, uh, Jalen Hurts uh, agent. Oh, I'd love to hear that one. I'm blanking on it. Well, cause in, in, in sports, it's fascinating that a lot of these players are are negotiating the deals on their own. Yeah, you know, like or, like or uh, who's the one who has their mom doing it for him? Is that? Um, oh my gosh! I oh god, what is his name? Uh, is that the Baltimore quarterback, Lamar Jackson? Is that him or? Yeah, yeah. And and for a while, I thought it was just him, but you know, like Joel Abid, who's in in. I don't really watch the NBA, um, but he negotiated his salary with the 76ers or his new contract. And it's huge. Now, part of me is thinking I'd be pretty intimidating going up against like a seven foot, just <laughs> gigantically ripped African-American man. Right. Because like he could snap me, like his hands are the size of my computer screen. He could snap me in half. <laughs> no but on the, on the flip side, like he has so much experience and I'm sure he's, he's picked up on, and plus he's got an amazing story he's picked up on all of these negotiations where he looks at it and goes, why do I need you? But like I said, on the flip side, you know, Jalen hurts is, um, agent. God, I'm blanking on her name. I think it's Angela. Uh, well, it doesn't really matter. She, she will come on the show and, uh, listening to how that world is changing. It's, it's fascinating, but I, I guess I, I was a little long winded. The, the show is, is morphed into something now where, it doesn't really matter what you're trying to figure out. If you're trying to understand something regarding money, Capitalize Your Finances is the show for you. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. 
The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, S-P-U-L-L-E-N at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. What I love about it too now is that you're doing these targeted ones too. Like uh, you've got the capitalizing your finances as a military personnel or as a restaurant owner. Like you've got really specific areas that you focus on on different weeks. And I love that. Well, I appreciate that. And, and you know, the military one, I'll tell you that one was a, um, that one was very uh, emotionally fulfilling for me. You know, military is a very, very big thing in our family. We, we love to give back. Um, to the armed forces. And it's, it's a shame hmm. that our government does such a piss poor job enlightening these armed forces on how to capitalize on their finance. Well, they don't even do that. You know, they kind of no. throw out all of these benefits, which are fact of the matter, incredible benefits. And so, you know, during yeah, but Memorial the, the, Day, the time they actually spend teaching that when I was in the military, I think the only thing we really got an explanation of was on somebody trying to come in and sell us bonds. That was it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, no, thank and, you. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, now it's, it's just, it's so much more complex. And so I wanted to, for Memorial Day, uh, as a kind of a, a token of, of giving back to the armed forces, dedicate an episode. And so if, if, if anyone that is listening is in some form of military personnel and they want to capitalize on their finances and get ahead, mm-hmm. I basically compacted my book into a half hour or 40 minute episode in military format and they can go and listen to it. It's completely free. Oh, okay. That's definitely on my queue. That's the next one. The one I listened to was uh, with John Lee Dumas. Uh, Oh yes. I enjoyed that. It was a quick one. He only had 15 minutes, but one of the things he mentioned was having a set of questions. He asked all his guests. Curious uh, if you have a set. So short answer is no. Um, I, I so one of our our really good friends uh, actually runs a, a podcast called Cars Yeah, it's the number one classic car podcast in the world, and he actually uh, was a student of John Lee uh, hmm. um, Dumas Dumas's course early on because John does kind of the same thing. Like he'll ask the same question to every person in the order, and you can really churn things out. I took a different approach because I'm not in it for the quantity game. And I think also when John started, he was, um, and I'm not describing John by any means, but he was one of the first. So when you're one yes, of the yes. first, you can kind of get away with that. And I don't think he could do, I don't think he could grow his business into what it was if he started today. I think mm. it's a different thing. No different than investing, you know, like, that's why I'm always really cautious, not only due to compliance, having a, a gun to my my head, but um, just in general, when people go, how are you investing your money? Right. I, I will tell you 50,000 foot based on like sectors and percentages, but I really struggle with giving exact ones to people, obviously, that are like not my clients because um, you- yeah, it's just it's, dangerous. <laughs> it's very dangerous. You know, like if you go and try to recreate like what Peter Lynch did in the 80s, mm-hmm. one of the things he promoted was Toys R Us. Well, Toys R Us is dead today, but back yeah. then it was a brilliant business. And 
Um, and so anyway, you know, I think now in the world of podcasting and forgive me to, to your listeners, I, I know I go all over the place and you're probably going to get DM'd like, God, this guy was so scattered. No, no, no. This is right in line with how our shows go when I enjoy them. Well, I, I appreciate that. You know, <laughs> when it comes to podcasting, and this is just my humble opinion, you can throw a ton of quantity up there and whatever sticks sticks. I would prefer to commit to asking the more, most qualitative questions that someone has ever asked. So I don't know if you listened to the Maroon 5. I, well, excuse me. I know you listened to the Maroon 5 episode. Those questions, I can guarantee you, have never been asked to Ryan. And in fact, there were a couple questions afterwards. He goes, dude, I, you did your homework, man. See, that's yes. Uh, that that and the, the follow ups like I like to have I'll have a list of maybe like three or four that mm-hmm. I'll use to keep the interview on track. Like, but I'm all about pulling those strings like, oh, what you said something over there that sounds kind of interesting. Let's hear a little bit more about that. I want to dive into that. Yeah. And I, I, I can also tell you, so it depends on the the episode. So like, I'll just use Fahim. So when he came on, that was my first time where I'm like, whoa, I've never really interviewed someone not in finance. So like, how am I going to do this? So yeah, you know, Fahim, if you're listening, sorry, buddy, but like you were the guinea pig <laughs> and, uh, which is, you know, what a guinea pig, but yeah, yeah, he, yeah. uh, I remember asking him questions and, and he also hasn't written a book. So mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of ways, that's easier for me to ask. Suck it for him. No, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. But on the flip side, you know, like, um, gosh, who would be another one uh, that's not Ryan? Okay. So when Alec Ingold and I connected, I know he wrote a book mm-hmm. and his book, um, you know, it has nothing to do with finance. It has to do with overcoming adversity, seven crucibles, um, being successful. But that was nice because I thought, okay, who in God's green earth has taken the time to read someone's book and ask profound financial questions from a book that's not financial? No yeah. one. So right. so that in a lot of ways is much easier because I know, okay, no one's asked this dude these questions, but it's harder because I've got to commit to really inhaling the book. Yeah. Um, you know, and then it gets to be really tough. Like I'm, I'm working on Guy Spears episode and I've read Guy Spears book twice. I'm going to read it again because now it's like, okay, you're coming on the show. I want to read it from a different lens, but I've also listened to so many of his interviews that it's going to be infinitely more challenging because he's in the world. So I don't have a set question. Every question that comes up other than, you know, at the end, of course, like where can people go to follow you or whatever? Yeah, those don't count. Yeah, those don't count. That's I, the business side. Yeah. Yeah. I I try my darnness to make it so incredibly custom where even if they go and talk to other people that have been on the show, they may have questions of similarity. You know, it's no different than actually how I plan for people. So when clients mm-hmm. come in, there is not a single client. Like I love when advisors and planners go, oh my gosh, we're going to write a plan that's totally custom to you. Bull crap. You know how many <laughs> right. clients have come over? <laughs> from other companies and all of them are in the same portfolio, (laughs) the exact same portfolio. And, and I'm going, okay, I'm not saying there can't be overlap. Like if, uh, you know, if Apple, for example, is good for one person, it should be good for another, whatever. Right. But every client that comes into our practice 
has a completely custom plan to them. Completely. Again, there could be some overlap, but it's completely custom. So I've taken that mental model and I've applied it to my podcasting. And I've Mm -hmm. taken that mental model in podcasting and that's where I transitioned it over to my book. And, you know, I've taken that in my book and, and, and to plug myself a little bit further, we have an online course coming out December 1st uh, for about 250 bucks on Black Friday. It'll be 190. And what I've done with that is I've decided, okay, I need to take my book and inject some steroids into it because there is not a course out there, not a single one. I've scoured the lands that has customized an entire financial planning framework, like an actual framework, because no one has a framework. Right. And and given it to someone where you can listen to it and you're going to listen to it. Your listeners are going to listen to it. They're all going to come and talk to you. I can guarantee you that not a single one of you will have the exact same outcome from that. But I can tell you that if you follow the framework, they're all going to be great outcomes. Hmm. So why write the book then? Like what was the, what was the idea behind it or why, why did you feel like you had to get it down on paper like that? So a couple things. So number one, um, there is an art of writing a book. So, and I've learned this now after the fact, (laughs) um, I, I can tell you when I wrote the book, first off, let me backtrack. So I started the podcast in, in for all practical purposes, 2021, but it really started in 2020 um, due to uh, lovely COVID gracing our shores. Yeah. And that was an experience in and of itself. I didn't know what I was doing. In fact, I, I didn't even have a show. I was improving it. Um, then it became a thing. And then as the show started to grow, people were just asking, when's mm-hmm. a book coming out? And it was very peculiar because I've always told myself, okay, I'm going to write a book. I just didn't know when, and I had this framework built up and the big man upstairs was telling me, okay, now's the time. So I I started committing to writing the book in let's call it 2021, August, 2022 is when it came out August 15th. And, and then I got to a point where people just asked and fans were asking like, Hey, like I want to buy more from you. So, you know, (laughs) it's love that. Yeah. I I guess it's a, it's one of those things where if the, if the people want it, provide it, but if they're not asking for it, I guess why I'm not saying waste the time, but, but in a way, why would you have done it if they weren't asking? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think I would have done the book regardless. Um, because first off, how many people can say that they're a best-selling author? Not many. On Amazon? Not many. How many yeah. people can say they're an author period? Not, Not many. many. So, you know, for me, even from an early age, I mean, I can even tell you, so this was back when I was diagnosed at four. I remember the doctor came in and told my parents that, you know, I wasn't, um, for all practical purposes, going to be able to jo- enjoy and, and uh, join in any reindeer games, so mm. to speak. And, right. you know, I'm four, so I don't have this uh, immaculate vocabulary, but I remember that feeling of, I'm going to prove this dude wrong. Wow. And I, I've i always had that. And so, you know, you fast forward to even when I got into college, because I was not a great student. 
in college, I told myself, okay, I know what I'm going to do. Cause I already was, was advising by the time I got out of high school. Um, I'm going to graduate in three years. And everyone was even telling me at that time, why, why speed through it? And it was one of those things where I go, but you don't understand me. Yeah. So, and then I did that. And then I remember I told myself, oh my gosh, I've gone from, you know, having Crohn's and and I still have it to, um, saying, screw it. I'm either going to die or I'm going to get healthy. And my sophomore year, I remember I, of high school, I devoted my life to health and fitness toward the end because I was tired of it. I was tired of, of being a shell of what I could become. And I knew that. And then I, I got into powerlifting and, you know, genetically, I'm just not a mass monster. So that didn't happen. And then I, I discovered drug-free bodybuilding. And then my, my gastroenterologist even told me, dude, there's no way you can compete. And I had that same (laughs) feeling. He actually came to my, my, my first show um, and I placed third, should have placed second. It's neither here nor there. And, uh, I come up to him afterwards and all I told him was, I told you, and he didn't really get it <laughs> yeah. because, you know, it's in the moment, but that was another thing. And then, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know. That's, that's, uh, that's a good point. Like some of the things that we tell people, we have no idea what kind of impact it has on them. Yeah. Well, and I don't know. I, I, and one more point on that. I get I'm a funny guy. I, I can say some things that are pretty off the wall. But for me, and sometimes it's like, okay, there's a balancing act. There's a balancing act of, hey, you know what? Like, use me as the guinea pig. Get a good laugh. Because even when I introduce people to each other, I'm like, you know what? Use me. Because if if you can laugh and that that at my expense and you formed a friendship and that's bettered your life for it, so be it. But I think the danger is too, but I use it as fuel. I have a lot of people that just laugh at me. So right. like when I, when I told myself that I was going to start my, uh, my, what is now my business at 22, you know, people are 23, I should say people were laughing at me and then the, the success started to grow. And then, um, I spun off and created capitalize your finances and and people laughed at that. And then I, I started the podcast. They're like, oh, and you know, capitalize. I don't know. Like they would make like stupid jokes of like, you know, capitalize a good fart or something like that. Uh, and, haters are going to hate, right? Yeah. And then in my head, I go, okay, keep laughing. And now yeah. it's at a point where as you compound in life, the laughter subsides and silence is an amazing success story. And so, you know, for people that are listening, if, if you've constantly been laughed at, use it as fuel because in the long run, you will have the last laugh. But the difference is you have a choice at that point. Going back to earlier, right? Life is a choice. Yeah. You could choose to metaphorically step on that person that's been laughing at you's throat and let the oxygen stop. Or you could turn around and double down and say, okay, now that you've made a fool of yourself, I'm going to extend a hand because you've been blinded this whole time and I'm going to get you out of that. So you don't make this mistake again. Yeah. Wow. Well said. Well said. Uh, you mentioned earlier talking about how your biggest blessings are often your biggest curse. Uh, yeah. That tenacity then that I'm going to do it. I'm going to prove everybody wrong. Like how has that hurt you then? Do you think? Cause it sounds like that's a pretty big asset. It's a huge asset. Um, yeah, there, it's a great question. There's a, 
Well, right off the bat, um, and again, I, I've mentioned this throughout the episode, but I'm going to mention it again. One thing that hit me hard, oh, probably a decade ago, I was listening to Charlie Munger, and Charlie Munger uh, mentioned something along the lines of, you want to build as many mental models in your head. And I know our, our time is is short, so I'll, I'll keep it brief, but I took that and I've started, I've, I have never stopped building mental models in my head. So hmm. when I go through something and I'm going to commit to something, I try to reverse engineer to the end product, mm-hmm. see the pros and cons of that. And if it's a net benefit, I come back to present day and then I get going on it. So, you know, have I missed out on opportunities? Yeah. You know, there've been a couple of times, um, my, my, my mom's grandparents, um, are, are no longer with us. And I can tell you, I don't really regret anything in life, but mm. anyone that's like, I regret nothing. God, you're a liar. Yeah, you are no kidding. such a liar. And one of the things I can tell you, not to get emotional, but I regret not having that one more time to spend with them. And oh, that's mine too. I you know, lost my grandpa a couple of years ago, and that was one of the hardest things. Oh. He was such a big influence in my life. Yeah. And, but, but on the flip side, um, I know my grandparents are looking down and, and they would tell me, Chris, you had to do what you had to do for your family. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to say, you know, and I, I think, um, as far as like the curse, cause I'm cursed, man. Like I'm, (laughs) I'm, it is not a gift to have the tenacity that I have. I am, I am extraordinarily cursed in that regard. And a lot of people, they want the title, they want the success, they want the financial um, status. Right. They want all the benefits without any of the drawbacks. Yeah. And, you know, like I'm meeting with someone next week and uh, she's become a really good friend of mine. She goes, I want to write a book and I want to I want to start a podcast and I am going to tell her the brutal truth about it. Yeah. You don't want that. <laughs> Because Unless you really love what you're doing and talking about, uh, no, you... <laughs> no, and especially on top of your job, right? You know, it's it's right. weird. I don't know. I I I I haven't really told people this often, uh, but I'm 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 starting to knowing what I know now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have started my podcast or not. Really. I really don't because, um, you know, now I'm at this point and again, people, you know, the trolls will be like, Oh, first world problems. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I don't really give a shit. My yeah. biggest struggle right now is balancing the act of twofold. Yeah. I could 10 X my business. I know exactly what I would need to do for that. Mm-hmm. I could 10 X my show. I could 10 X my brand. None of that means a lick to me as opposed to the other side of that, which is being an extraordinarily present father and an equally extraordinarily present husband. And I will tell you, if you run a business and you run a podcast and you run a brand and you have your community on your back, depending on you, you won't get that balance. And if Mm -hmm. you think you will, you're an idiot. (laughs) <laughs> I am so glad that you put that back to, to being a good father. Cause that was going to be the, <laughs> I was yeah. going to tr- drive it over there if you didn't. Yeah. 
Well, and also think about this, right? So, so we live in a, a world today where for whatever reason, I have no idea why, but it is a, uh, not getting political here, but we live in this world where a traditional family is just being destroyed. And I'm not against anyone doing whatever they want to do with their lives, but I'm thinking to myself, man, that is a really dangerous gun to hold to someone's head on degrading the value of a, an amazing father and a wonderful mother to your child. And right. like having some sort of influence in their lives, like you need to have somebody there providing positive role models for you. Well, and, and I'll tell you, man, it, it's just scary to me because, and also we live in this world too, where in, and, and again, I, I think we're close to the same age, you know, the, the millennial generation and even to a lesser extent, the, the ones after us, I think Gen Z, it's such a toxic, I'm doing this for me. Mm-hmm. Like this is me. It is a me first world. One of my best clients who crazy. So he has, I think, seven siblings and both of his parents died when he was 10. And at 10 years old, he took over the lumber mill that his family ran. So another way of saying it, at 10 years old, he became the boss of 30 men. And wow. he sold it, you know, later on in his life. And he, he's one of our favorite clients. And, and he told me, Chris, it was never about me. It was always we. And hmm. that is dead today. Yeah. That's completely dead. And uh, I'll tell you this. A recession has a very interesting way of slapping people in the face of reality. <laughs> and I, I, uh, I'm not wishing it on anyone. I'm not saying, oh my gosh, I know this recession is coming. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when that comes, you know, a lot of these people that have this super entitled mentality of going, well, you know, I can work at home or else you're going to fire me or, right, or, right. or else you're going to lose oh, me. Yeah. That's going to die real quick. I can tell you right now, we have a number of business owner clients where people have thrown that out and, and employees are saying, well, you know, I work for home or else you'll lose me. And they go, okay, bye. Yeah. And they go, well, what do you, <laughs> yeah, bye. Right. Labor market's not that strong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm to a lesser extent, you've got a Gen Z, um, the Gen Z's that are coming up. I actually give them a ton of credit because unlike a lot of millennials who are just ridiculously entitled in this regard, Gen Z, they want to take that opportunity and make no mistake about it. They mm-hmm. will take that opportunity from you. Somebody needs to, because uh, at least as far as the skill trades go, there's not nearly enough people getting into that. And it's oh. such a great opportunity. Well, and, and, and we also live in a world today too, and I won't get too riled up about it, especially because it's a, well, maybe Friday, you know, I'll let the freak fly a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. you know, for me, it really irritates me when people go, I deserve. So, I, you know, hmm. when my, um, when my family was going through their situation, I remember one of the last things my father said was I deserve happiness. Mm-hmm. And I remember I looked at him. And I told him, you don't deserve anything. Hmm. You earn everything. And it's funny. He, you know, had a 
tissy fit on that. And <laughs> right. even now, um, you know, some, some of my really close, uh, some of my, my, like my mom's close friends or family friends or, uh, not really any of our clients. Cause most of our clients have run their own business and, yeah, or they've yeah. been a key employee where they, they, they get it. But right. you know, people in my, my age group and your age group, they'll go, man, I deserve, you don't deserve a thing. You earn <laughs> everything in this world man it sounds like it sounds like a psychologist yeah. yeah 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 so um but anyway i didn't mean to go off on that soapbox but it felt good getting it off my chest well you mentioned we are getting close to to the end of time i know you probably got a, a lot of stuff going your time is much more valuable than mine but well i don't know about last... that i appreciate you <laughs> The last thing I do want to ask you about is uh, we talked a little bit about this on air and it's a question I do like to ask people, but if you can go back in time and talk to your 18 year old self, like what would you tell them that you wish you'd learned earlier and would you have listened? Okay. Well, I answer the last part first. Absolutely yeah. not. No, because, never would have. <laughs> well, because it's, it's one of the things, it's the classic, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Ryan Dusick and I actually talked about that, not only on our show, but we've, we've become uh, decent buddies. And, and, um, we've talked about that particular question a ton because mm -hmm. let's face it, had you known everything that you know now, of course you would have done things differently, but at the same time, it took you all of those trials and errors to get to where you are today. So how could you say that? Right. right. Like it's a, it's yeah. a very peculiar conundrum. Um, it's so I, I was blessed uh, when we started this podcast to get some of the best traders on here, like just giving us their information. And uh, when you don't know what you don't know, you don't know what's important. Like, yeah, I, I, they told me all this stuff was important, but I didn't know until two years later, like, oh, shit, that's what he meant. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what I would have told myself, you know, it's interesting. Um, and it's not even just totally finance. So I'll give you finance. And is it OK if I, I sway off of that a little? No, not it doesn't have to be finance. Could be anything, anything. Yeah. So financially, I would tell my 18 year old self, "You are almost going to go bankrupt, but at the end of it, by the time you're about 30, the compounding is really going to take off." And I'm at a point now where if I wanted to just put things in neutral, I could. That's not mm -hmm. who I am, but I could. And what I'm gonna, I would tell myself at that point is, financially speaking, keep going. Just keep going. Professionally, I would tell myself, oh, this is going to sound really cliche, but it, it's the honest to God truth. Depend on your gut more than you ever have in your life. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. I, I would say fitness wise. So this is actually something I'm really fired up about. I'm, I'm discovering, I'm rediscovering my love and passion for fitness. And I would tell myself that over time, as the muscularity grows, the quantity of time in the gym will diminish and the quality of your workouts in physique will increase. Interesting. So there's, there's something I'm reading right now. I, and I'm not going to, you know, if my wife listens to this, she's going to be like, good God, you told him the menser story. So, <laughs> um, so, so for, for those of you that don't know, okay, uh, Mike Menzer was the uncrowned Mr. Olympia of 1980. I'm not going to get into why he didn't win. There was politics involved. And you got to understand back in the seventies, that's when bodybuilding absolutely catapulted. 
into popularity. You had Arnold Schwarzenegger yep. come over, then Joe Weider and Gold's Gym, Mr. Universe. Was that Lou, Ferrin- uh, Lou Ferrigno? Lou Ferrigno. Thank you. Um, okay. So you had all of these these guys. And, and what was the common thing? They were promoting volume, volume, two workouts a day, six days a week, tan on the, like basically gym tan laundry, right. but in the seventies and carb load with a case of beer on the beach. Right. And <laughs> yeah. occasionally there were some more nuanced and scientific backed people like Frank Zane, who nickname, uh, who was nicknamed the chemist an actual chemist. I would say had the has had the best Mr. Olympia physique of all time. Hmm. Uh, you know, he wanted it 5'9", 185 pounds, just a beautiful physique. Well, he always kind of kept to himself. And later in life, he revealed that he didn't do as much volume. Well, here comes Mike Menzer. And Mike Menzer comes in. He wins the, the Mr. Universe in 1980. The only man at the time to ever get a perfect score. Hmm. And hmm. he is basically geared to win the Olympia and they're interviewing this guy and saying, okay, so what's your secret? How many times a day do you work out a week? Blah, 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 blah. And he tells them, you know, I only work out like lift weights Mm -hmm. two, maybe once a week. And really I'm not in the gym longer than it would be staggering. If I'm, if I'm working out longer than 40 minutes in the, you know, the interviewer had basically the the look on his face that you had the sound in your voice. Like, what? Yeah. Well, clearly he got canceled on that because you can't sell volume and all that, blah, blah, blah. Well, <laughs> passed away tragically in the early 2000s. And, you know, Lord Google uh, sent me this ad on his book. And so I bought his book and I'm, I'm reading through it. And, and the whole methodology behind it, I know this is a long-winded answer, so so I apologize. But... um. You know, a lot of these people now in health and fitness, they work out based on, for example, Monday is chest day and Tuesday is yeah, back, right. Thursday is whatever. He never did that. He always had them as workout one, workout two, workout three, and workout four, as an example. Mm-hmm. So let's say Monday is chest and back. And, and let me ask, do you do you lift weights? No, not at all. I do the bare minimum, but I do I try to do something. <laughs> Okay, right. Uh, so like so like for you though, like are weights included at all? Just like yes. No, 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 no. I do like push ups, jumping jacks, okay, cardio. Push ups, jumping jack, yeah. cardio, okay. So for example, let's say that um just to translate it for you, you're you focused more on like push body weight exercises. So you did push ups, you did uh, you know, close grip diamond push ups, maybe you did some shoulder presses against the wall. And, and let's say that was yeah. And let's say that was Monday. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then let's say Tuesday comes around and you're going to do squats. Well, your legs are well rested, right? But you have yeah. a really crappy workout. Well, why is that? And a lot of people haven't put two and two together. Menzer's whole philosophy was systemically your body is still worn down from crushing the Monday workout. So even though your particular muscle is rested come Tuesday, your body holistically is not ready to completely go all out to better that one group. Interesting. So what he would say is Monday, chest and back, as an example. Tuesday, you need to rest. Mm -hmm. Wednesday, you wake up and most people go, well, I'm rested, but I'm not totally rested, but I'm still going to go in and get a good workout. Your body systemically isn't ready for that. 
Thursday comes around and people go, okay, now I'm feeling well rested. I'm ready to get after it. Mm-hmm. But there lies the mistake because just because you've dug out this hole from Monday and you filled it back to the surface, the ground hasn't you know, solidified to build that mountain, which is therefore muscle. So in his philosophy, by the time Friday comes around, you've completely recovered. Your muscle of your chest and back have recovered fully from the high intensity work. Your body systemically is now ready to anabolically annihilate, in this case, legs. Mm-hmm. And then he wouldn't go and work out again till that Wednesday. So what I would have told myself at 18, long story short, is Chris, you are going to fall in love with fitness and that is going to remain forever, but you're going to realize there's more to it. And I wish I knew the quantifiable research of Mike Menzer that I do now, because I would have been able to take in so much more of my time outside of something that I was chasing that was false reality. And I would have been able to have compounded my success in every aspect of my life much more efficiently than I already have. Wow. That's beautiful. Beautiful. I love it. Um, all right, but uh, we are getting to the end here. I think we do have to wrap this up. Unfortunately, that's okay. Yeah. So that does mean we've come to the end of our time with Chris, but don't be disappointed. Everybody. Chris has got a great backlog of amazing episodes. Capitalize your finances. Find that at the website of the same name. Uh, anything else that people should check out, Chris? Absolutely. If you are looking to truly capitalize your finances, head on over to amazon.com and snag my book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to financial framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. If you are wanting to free ball off of me, you can go over to Spotify and listen to Capitalize Your Finances, the podcast. Um, And if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow us on Instagram, Cap and Capitalize, or you can attempt to spell my last name. You can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. I am extremely active on all of those. I'll make sure all those links in the episode description so that way people can find them. Uh, we'll be back soon with another exciting episode. But until then, um, I don't know. What's a, good, uh, what's a good way to end this here? Well, no, go ahead. I'll tell you a good way to end it uh, is the cherry on top of plugging myself. December 1st, we are coming out with the first ever Capitalize Your Finances online course. And so put in a reminder November 1st to pre-order it. Or if you're looking to go a little cheaper on Black Friday, it will go from 250 to 190 And at that point in time, I would be more than honored if you could snag that as well as my book to support my newborn daughter's eventual college funding. There you go. There you go. Oh, that sounds perfect. Uh, And then we'll probably have to get back together when that course does come out, because I do want to check it out. Absolutely. All right, folks. Have a good one. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.